All right. Yeah, so um, I told uh, everybody that, that Catalyst was getting a good sermon today, and, and Elevate will get a good sermon next week. So um, when Rob called me and said, hey, um, I, I want to swap pulpits with you, I, wa- I, I want to... Uh, I want to do this. I said, well, that's, that's great, but why do you want to swap pulpits with me? And he said, well, I need somebody who, when I get back the next week, the people are really glad I'm back. Okay? And, and he says, I think you're that guy. And so I said, well, thanks, Rob. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, we, we are, uh, we, we're, we're swapping pulpits. Rob is over at Catalyst, and, uh, and, and I'm here. It's just great to be here. It's great to see what Elevate is doing and, and, and see what you guys are, are, are bringing to Lexington. Um, Catalyst will be 15 years old next Sunday, and uh, it's just neat to see kind of come back. I feel like I'm at Catalyst at year two um, again. It's just it's great, and I want to thank you guys for this. Rob gave me the passage in James to preach on, Pat James uh, 5, 1 through 12. So if you guys will turn there, we're going to be there. Um, and... I basically, uh, after wrestling with this passage, I realized that this entire passage is a wrestling match between what you want most and what you can have now. Um, the main thing today is that Satan will always try to get you to trade what you want most for what you can have now. Um, if you guys will, will uh, read with me in James 5, 1-6, James, the brother of Jesus, writes this, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth is rotted, your moths have eaten your clothes, your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. Well, that's kind of harsh, isn't it? He goes on, You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. And so he basically goes after people who have made, who have traded what they want most, what they can have now. They haven't fully invested themselves in what this world can give you. Now, no thought to anything after this world. And he's, he basically is saying how foolish it is to invest everything, all your time, all your passion, all your money, have all your wealth invested in this world. Because he says, it is not something that's going to last. And so, I, I wish I could say that we as people have learned this lesson, but we haven't. Uh, if you look everywhere in America today, very little treasure in heaven, lots of treasure on earth, and we make prizes and we make heroes of people with lots of money and lots of influence, and we laugh at the people whose treasure is in heaven. And so I'm going to give you three lies that sound like truth. Three lies that sound like truth we can find from this, this, this half this passage. Lie number one is that more equals better. More equals better. That is a lie that sounds like truth. If you were to go into high schools or into colleges and, and, and ask the upcoming generations what they want most, very few people would say, I want to make sure that I have treasure in heaven. You would hear more uh, people saying, I want the house, I want the car, I want the 401k, I want the influence here. Because they bought the lie that sounds like truth, that more equals better. More does not equal better, as we'll find out in just a second. Lie number two that sounds like truth, money and things can satisfy me. 
There are people all over, maybe even people in this room, that still believe this lie. 1 Timothy 6.10, Paul writes this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I, I can just hear it. If I just had that house, if I just had that car, if I just made a little bit more, every day we're bombarded with advertisements that tell us how happy we will be if we have this or that. But Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, whoever has money wants more. Whoever has possessions will never be satisfied. We need to change our attitude. On, on the way uh, home uh, from work a couple days ago, I was listening to the Family Talk podcast, James Dobson, and uh, there's a story of a woman who racked up more than $200,000 in credit card debt. Um, uh, stuff for her, stuff for her husband, stuff for the kids, stuff to give for gifts. She was she was telling this, and every time she would buy something, the next day she would regret it. Um, it got to the point where she would arrange her schedule to get home before her husband did so she could intercept the credit card uh, bills so he wouldn't see them. He had no idea how bad off they were and almost destroyed their marriage when he finally found out. She actually blamed him for it. Why don't you make more money? It wasn't until they saw 1 Timothy 6.10 they realized what was going on. And I, I listened to her testimony, uh, how she had been, uh, she'd grown up as a preacher's kid and always been a Christian, but she had bought the lie. She'd been brought to the point of brokenness. She had bought this lie that money and things can satisfy. Uh, she and her husband both realized that money wasn't the problem. Their hearts were the problem. They had wandered away from the faith even though they'd been in church. And they replaced God, number one, and they put the acquisition of things and materialism at the center of their lives. She said something to James Dobson that really, uh, really resounded with me. She said, without committing to Christ, without surrendering our finances to God, we never would have gotten out of debt. She said, I talk to people all the time who call me and write me. They've heard my testimony uh, about this, and they want to know how, how we did it. What are the steps we followed? And I tell them the first thing, is that they want strategies and steps. And she says, none of these strategies work unless you first commit to Christ. Unless you allow Jesus to be sovereign over your finances. To do what He says, nothing I tell you will work. She said this. She said, at that point, more than half the people hang up. They don't want Jesus. They want strategies and steps. They don't want Jesus. She said, the other half she counsels them out of debt and out of financial disaster. Guys, the lie that sounds like truth that money and things will satisfy. It was true in James' time. It's true to us. Lie number three is my money. I can do whatever I want with it. My money. I can do whatever I want with it. Luke 12, 16-21, Jesus tells this very, very poignant parable that is more relevant to us today than maybe it was back in his time. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. Those are words I never want to hear God say to me. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Now, don't hear in that passage what Satan wants you to hear this morning. What Satan wants you to hear is that the second you get anything, God's going to yank you away to your eternal home. That's not what he's saying. What God wants you to hear is this last line. Who will get 
what you have prepared for yourself. It's going to go to someone else. Because you don't really own anything. I don't own anything. We are simply managers of what God has given us. It's all His. Everybody say, it's all His. It's all His, okay? Every bit of it. Those are not your clothes you're wearing. That's not the car you drove this morning. This is not LCA's building. These are not my clothes. Uh, the house I'm going to is not mine. It's all God's. We are simply managers of it. And God hit me big time. Uh, I, I, was, I stepped out on my back deck a couple weeks ago, and I was looking at my amazing third of an acre, uh, this piece of ground that has Kibler. Kibler owns this place. This is his. And I looked out and I said, you know, Lord, this is awesome. This is great. And he goes to me, he goes, how many people since I created this earth have stood on this exact spot and said, look at what's mine. And I, I said, wow. Probably a lot. And he goes, yeah. He goes, and guess what? In a hundred years, somebody else will be here saying, look at what's mine. And after them, and after them, and after them. Hey, this is not yours. This is mine. I'm letting you manage it. It's all his. Wealthiest man in Jessamine County, R.J. Corman. All the land, all the property, he's gone. Now someone else has it. You guys, nothing we have is ours. It's not our money. It's all his. And when you embrace that and you, and you get a hold of that, then you are simply a manager of everything that God has. Then all of a sudden, life gets amazing. It really does. Um, I, I've got a, uh, an investment person. A lot of you guys have investment people. Um, and so what, what, what an investment person does, you send them a certain sum of money. You say, okay, um, I want this to go into my 401k. I want it to go into this mutual fund and this mutual fund. Uh, how many of you guys have investment people? Yeah? You know, understand? Okay. Now, what if that investment person, uh, you sent them a thousand bucks and say, okay, I want it to go in this mutual fund, this mutual fund, this mutual fund. And uh, the guy goes, you know, I'm not really feeling that. I'm thinking this thousand bucks, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to take a vacation. I'm going to spend it on me. You understand. You're like, uh, uh, whoa. Time out. That's not yours to do with what you want. That's mine that I'm giving to you that, and I want you to send it where I want you to send it. If you take it and use it for yourself, that is known as theft. Right? If your investment person that you're sending 401k money to used it to buy an ATV and, and a, a new truck and, and to take a vacation and all this kind of stuff, he would be in jail because that is fraud. That is a violation of fiduciary agreement, right? Well, we are God's investment people. It is his. It is to go where he wants us to go, where he wants it to go. And if we take it and use it for ourselves, that is known as theft. Okay? God has, has basically said, this is mine. I'm giving you my stuff to manage as I see fit. When you get a hold of that, life changes drastically because it's all his. Everybody say it's all his. All his. And that's what James is trying to tell people. Stop making your, your home here. Stop getting so fired up about stuff that's here. It's not going to last because it's not yours. It belongs to God. And then he goes on, James 5, 7-12. He says this. He, he completely shifts tones. He says, this is what you can have now, but let me tell you what you want most. Okay? James 5, 7-12. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, 
patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rain. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy above all. Brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth, by anything else. All you need is simple yes or no, otherwise you'll be condemned. So basically, James says, stop investing yourself here and invest yourself here in what you want most. So I'm going to give you three truths that sound like lies. I gave you three lies that sound like truth. Now I'm going to give you three truths that sound like lies. The first one is this. What's valuable to people is worthless in God's eyes. What's valuable to people is worthless in God's eyes. Story about an old boy who died went to heaven. And uh, as uh, he was on his deathbed, and the angel came to, came to collect him. He goes, hey, hey, angel, you know, I'm, I'm really not feeling this going to heaven thing. I, can I take at least one, one thing with me? And the angel's like, you know, this kind of a violation of the rules, but because I'm feeling in a good mood, I, sure, sure, I'll let you take one suitcase. Whatever you can fit in one suitcase, you, you can take it to heaven with you. And the guy goes, like, okay, I got it. So he goes down to the bank as a, as a ghost, and he empties his bank account and buys gold. He goes, I'm going to take this gold to heaven with me, because this is, I, I, they probably don't use dollar bills, but I bet they use gold, so I'm going to take gold with me. And he shows up to the pearly gates, and the and St. Peter says, uh, you know, he notices the suitcase. He's like, what are you doing? This, you, you're the first person I've ever seen bring a suitcase. He looks at the angel. Did you allow this? The angel's like, yeah, you know, moment of weakness, I'll let him bring a suitcase. And St. Peter said, well, okay, well, let, let's see what you brought. And the guy opens up, and, uh, you know, millions of dollars in gold bullion. And St. Peter goes, pavement? You brought pavement? He looks at the angel and goes, God brought pavement. The angel's like, you guys, what's valuable in our sight is worthless in God's eyes. We value gold down here up there, just pavement. That's all it is. Second thing that we, second truth sounds like lies. The hunter, not the prey, knows why the corn pile is free. I'm a deer hunter. I hunt deer. I love hunting deer because I'm a meat eater. I love venison. And uh, one of the hunting strategies is to try to draw to try to draw the deer in with something it can have now. See, we capitalize on the on the deer's lack of impulse control. You tempt the deer with two things: food and sex. Or you you you, you spray doe estrus. They think that there's a mating opportunity. Bring them out for a corn pile. See, they, they, they walk out and they see a corn pile and they say, well, this would take me all day to graze in a field that's all right here. I can have it now. And that's how a hunter hunts. Dangles something out that you can have now, quick, easy. We don't want the deer thinking about how it got there. We don't want, th- we don't want the deer thinking about what will happen to it if it goes for the corn pile. We just want it going for the corn pile. And then it's our prey. Then we harvest. Then we kill. That's how hunters work. Well, look what happens in 1 Timothy 6.10. Love of money. Root of all kinds of evil. Like we just said, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Satan dangles out well. Hey, you can have it all in this world. And we don't think, it's like deer going to a corn pile. We don't think about why it's there. We don't think about who is offering. We don't think about the consequences. We just think we can have it 
Satan will always try to get you to trade what you want most. Now, never forget, the hunter is willing to give you a corn pile for free if only you take the bait. And we see that all the time. We see Christians trading their eternity, trading their purpose, trading the, the kingdom, the treasure in heaven for what they can have on this earth. It's amazing. Truth number three that sounds like a lie. Make a choice. You cannot love both God, uh, both the world and God. Unfortunately, you're like, well, that's false. Where's that in the Bible? Right here in the Bible, James 4, 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. We can love what we can have now. We can love eternity. We can't love both. And so I'm here to ask you to never, never trade what you can have now for what you want most. When I was a youth uh, minister working with future millennials, I used to ask them, I, I used to say, how, how long have you lived? I'd go up to a kid and say, how, how long have you lived? And they would say, well, you know, 14 years. I'd say, no, 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 no. I said, that's how long your heart's been beating. How long have you lived? He's like, I don't follow you. So well, let me tell you. When I was nine years old, 1983, my parents went, took us, me and my brother, to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I had never, with internet wasn't around back then, I had never seen mountains before. And when we flew into Jackson Hole, the, the, uh, the, the airport, you know, 1980s engineering, there was no tarmac, there's there no, you didn't walk uh, from the plane into the airport. It, it land, you landed on the runway and you got out on the runway and you walked across runways where planes were taking off and leaving, you know, a good plan. Um, but you, when I stepped out onto the runway, it was at the foot of the Grand Teton Mountains. And I've never in my life seen something more beautiful, more amazing, more impressive than the Grand Teton Mountains. It was July. And there were, it, 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 even though it was the summertime, the, there were white caps up at the top and there were clouds moving in and out of the Grand Teton Mountains. I've never seen something so majestic in all my life. And I said, in that moment, at nine years old, I drank in and I lived that moment with such intensity and such purpose that if I was to live a million years, y'all, I would still remember what that day was like, what that moment was like. And then I asked the kid again, how long have you lived? And he goes, well, when you put it that way, Maybe a minute. See, Ralph Waldo Emerson in the 1880s observed very, very, very astutely that most men and women lead lives of quiet desperation. Well, see, God has something very, very different for us. It all depends on what we invest ourselves in. If we invest ourselves in the wealth and everything that James is talking about, we will lead lives of quiet desperation. But if we go after what God wants for us, eternity, then we will have a radically different life story. We will not be living lives of quiet desperation. We will be living, as John 10, 10 says, life to the full. In 2013, uh, well, 2012, I went over to India to set up an uh, orphanage and set up a uh, uh, some church planning, missionary stuff over there in Asia, tremendous stuff. Well, in 2013, we got uh, 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 some bad news uh, at the Kibler household. We, uh, our, our upstairs air conditioning unit went out. Anybody ever been upstairs in the summertime in Kentucky in May without air conditioning? It is miserable. 
miserable. Okay, AC is like the fourth, uh, like the fifth food group, y'all. Most people would sacrifice their firstborn child before giving up their AC. Can I get an amen? Okay. All right. Well, so we had we knew this was coming because it was an old unit and everything like that. So we we had saved up money and everything to to replace our upstairs AC unit. Well, we got a, a message, an urgent message from our orphanage in India. And uh, uh, the, the, the guy said, well, please pray for us. Uh, uh, last night, a black mamba snake got into the orphanage. Uh, and the kids are laying on, on moldy tarps on, in the ground, lying on the ground. They don't have beds. And this snake was, was there, black mamba's name. Fortunately, he said, by the grace of God, an adult happened to be walking through, grabbed the black mamba by the tail, and threw it outside. That's guts. Okay? The kids were freaking out. They didn't sleep. They were nervous and everything like that. Well, we as a family decided that we would take the money that we had saved for our air conditioning unit and send it to the orphanage so they could buy beds. We called it the Kibler Adventure 2013. We went to Walmart, bought some cheap uh, uh, window fans. They did nothing. Okay. That summer was miserable. 90-something degrees upstairs every night. It was, it was awful. But then we started getting messages and pictures of these smiling kids on their new beds with signs saying, thank you for beds. Smiling. It's the first time they've ever had beds. It wasn't like they were asking for sports cars. They had beds. And in 2015, when my, uh, my wife and my daughters went with me over there, we were able to walk in there and see the kids, and they were so proud of their beds. They would show off their beds and climb up and, and look, this is, this is my bed. Look, look at this. Isn't this awesome? And their little shoebox of all their earthly possessions. The bed was probably the most valuable thing they had. And I'm telling you, you haven't lived until you look in the eyes of an orphan that is grateful to you. That right there is what I wanted most. But we could have just had comfort upstairs. And as we continued in that ministry over there, I got to, uh, I got uh, one in 2015 was teaching church planning conference there, and a young man came up to, in his early 20s, came up to me and said, I'm about to go back to my tribe. I'm going to plant a church. I'm going to preach Jesus. He said, I'm probably going to my death. But I want, I'm going anyway. This is what God wants me to do. So will you pray for me? So we prayed and commissioned and laid hands on him, sent him out. The next year, 2016, we got the awful but not unexpected news that in the middle of a sermon, while he was preaching, the chief of the village, came in with a machete, took a swing at him, missed, hit the main post of the church, grabbed it out, second one killed him, right in the middle of church. He was reaching too many people for Christ. The chief didn't like it, and so he killed the guy in his own church while he's preaching a sermon. In 2017, when we went back there, I was teaching again, uh, teaching again uh, um, uh, a church planning conference, Another young man came up to me and said, I feel called to go back and continue Pastor so-and-so's work. I'm probably going to my death. Will you pray for me? 
and we laid hands and prayed, sent them back, sent them out there to do the work. In 2019, when we were there, the young man was, was, uh, came to, he knew we were there, so he came to see us and he said, I want to show you something. I want, to, I want you and your son to come with me. We, we rode out to his church and we saw, we walked into the church and we saw the main post with a gash, the machete gash that had been put there the years before. And there sitting in the church was his church with his most recent convert, the chief, who is now a Christian because of this young man's work. See guys, that is what we are to invest ourselves in. We are to live in such a way that we live great stories like that. That is what God wants for you. Not this watered-down, lukewarm, mediocre life of quiet desperation that so many of us are living and so many of us are going to live and so many of us are going to have children who will follow our example that will live lives of quiet desperation. Matter of fact, isn't it just a, a, a generation after generation after generation of people living lives of quiet desperation instead of going after what Jesus wants for us, living as Jesus wants us to live and creating our own stories and living life to the full. I was, uh, um, I, I was uh, when I was in youth ministry. I took uh, I took some kids to, uh, uh, to to different churches just to see, and one of them was a black church in Louisville, and um, and it was student it was graduation Sunday, student recognition Sunday, and there were all all the all the students in in the black church were uh, were graduating, saying, "Hey, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this," talking about what their plans were, and it was, it was awesome. And then uh, Pastor Kevin Cosby, who was the the pastor of the church. Stood up there, and he goes, "Children, it's a good way to talk to kids." He goes, "He goes, you're gonna die. You don't think you're gonna die, but you're gonna die." And you know, it's a good way to start off a sermon. And he goes, "You don't think you're gonna die, but one of these days, they're gonna take you out to the cemetery. They're gonna drop you in a hole, throw some dirt in your face, and go back to the church and eat potato salad." He goes, that's not the question, children. He goes, when you were born, you were the only one that was crying. Everybody else was happy. That's not the question, children. The question is, when you die, is everyone else going to be crying? Are you the only one that's happy? It's better than what you're living for, children. Titles or testimonies. And then he did what only a black preacher could do. He swept through the entire Bible in five minutes. White guys from Asbury Seminary like me can't do that. Okay, it's not in the genes. He goes, there was Moses and there was Pharaoh. Pharaoh had the title. Pharaoh had the wealth. Pharaoh had the title. Governor of Egypt. Ruler of Egypt. That's a good title. Ruler. Great title. He goes, but it was all over. All he had was the title. Moses had the testimony. He goes, there was Elijah and Jezebel. Jezebel had the title. Queen Jezebel. Queen's great title. She had the wealth. She had the money. She had the power. When it was all over, all she had was the title. But Elijah had that testimony. There was Daniel. There was King Darius. King Darius. King. King's good title. King. Good title. Great title. He had the money. He had the power. He had the influence. But when it was all over, all he had was the title. But Daniel had the 
testimony. I guess the question that James is asking us in this passage, are we living for the title, wealthy, or are we living for the testimony of faithfulness to God? That's the question that needs to trouble your hearts today and mine. At the end, what will we say to King Jesus? Lord, look at my pavement. Or Lord, I followed you. And I went after not what I could have now, what I wanted most. That was you and your kingdom. today. Perfect man would have to die 